Exit for Podcast Mutants, Magic, and Marvels is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And for all things X's for Podcast, check out X's for Podcast on Twitter and YouTube. Hey everybody, welcome back to X's for Podcast, your premier comic podcast for modern marvels, chrono skimming, classics, and more. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And I am so excited to bring you this Modern Marvels Wednesday. And to kick things off with me, I have the original co-host of this show. Couldn't be more excited to have him on. Hey, Jonah. Hey, Nico, and hello, listeners. If you want to follow me, you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at PeakJonah. That's P-E-A-K. Now, we have some awesome coverage today coming up we have marauders number three as well as legion of x number two and i loved these segments and i loved these titles and i can't wait to bring those to you but first thing i want to talk about today is is sort of something a little bit funny one of the things that jonah and i first bonded over was a love of gaming it's been so long since the x-men have really had an opportunity to be in any sort of major game in a significant way and while i don't know that the upcoming midnight suns is the biggest game ever It's really exciting because it looks that we've got a number of X-Men and mutant related characters in it. And I'm I'm pretty, pretty excited about this, Jonah. So I know we've been following it since the beginning and they just dropped that ridiculously fun trailer. And I was wondering where you're coming from on this game. Something that Nico and I talk about is we actually do share a love of tactic style games. I am a huge Fire Emblem fan. I know, I know, but I really enjoy the strategic elements that come into play when it comes to that kind of strategy also sleeper hit if listeners have not given the chance to mario rabbits i know rabbits are basically the video game equivalent of minions but it was a very fun and charming game and something that makes me happy is when the game was showcased and the creators just crying because that's his work and pride and joy and you can tell how much love actually went into that game because it is a sleeper hit and surprisingly extremely fun and i'm also very much looking forward to that sequel so when marvel announced that this was going to be an XCOM style game where you have to position yourself in this battlefield and use your environment to your advantage, making sure you select the right people. It seems like there's so much depth being brought to this game in terms of strategy and how they want you to be able to handle the situation they're going to be put in front of you with the multitude and larger uh, cast that they have. And we don't know every character that's going to be in there yet. The basic plot of this game being that Lilith is awakened and her and her demonic army working with Hydra are basically trying to destroy and take over the world. We have this secret initiative group known as the Midnight Suns, where we're playing a self-insert character that gets to be the child of Lilith and we get to fight back, which I think is, you know, pretty cool. Not the most groundbreaking in terms of where we're going in storytelling in terms of overall plot, but I do love that we're adding this interesting element to the Marvelverse, whether it's strictly canon, whether it's going to be its own separate universe, who knows? I am specifically holding out for Elsa Bloodstone because, again, this is all about fighting monsters and demons who else than you know marvel's resident badass woman who you know does that for a living i love your take on elsa would fit in this beautifully i agree i think this is gonna have to be its own canon if for no other reason it has a even like more detailed plot somehow (laughs) the avengers enlist the help of the midnight suns which is a team featuring nico manuru hey girl right my namesake love her so much blade magic who's one of the x-men i'm so excited about being here and 
my precious Robbie Reyes showing up. Additionally, we'll also see Wolverine, Scarlet Witch, and Captain Marvel, all of whom have been either X-Men or on X-Men adjacent teams or in the X-Men's care. Additionally, Iron Man, Captain America, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, and Blade have all been confirmed for the game with a number of additional characters yet to be revealed. And I just think it's really exciting to see not only are the X-Men being reinterpolated into the bigger picture sort of view of the Marvel Universe, but they're being reinterpolated into something that's even being like labeled the dark side of Marvel. They're not just being put in the cast shots, they're being put in like sort of like sub-genre games. And that's always a really good sign for the reintegration of characters into a line. Absolutely. When it comes to any sort of property, your game has to be good. And you know, that, that sounds like a you know a silly thing to say, like, of course, everyone wants their game to be good. But your game really does have to stand out in not only what you're trying to pitch, but what market you're trying to break into. And as far as I'm aware, I think this is one of the first Marvel games that is breaking into this genre, this tactic style RPG kind of game. And when it comes to something that maybe not every fan, because we can be honest, tactic style games aren't for everyone. They are a very specific niche genre of RPGs, I would say, where when people think of RPGs, you think of, okay, we're going on an adventure and you have a party and you have skills and like you unlock more party members. Not that's not what you're not doing here, but it's not your typical turn-based. It's 3D. You're moving around the battlefield. You have to consciously make every, every decision counts because if you misplace your character, you use the wrong move at the wrong time, you waste an ability, that could be the end of your mission. So we have this new game in this darker set world and we're also having this genre that might not reach to the expansive culture vernacular when it comes to video games. I really appreciate that they're trying to pick characters that I think people will be excited to not only play as but to get to know on a deeper level because that's part of the game is that you're supposed to be you know inserting yourself not only working us alongside these heroes but you're living with them and you're trying to deepen your bond with them so they can understand you and you can understand them better which I am very excited for. I always get kind of excited seeing who's going to voice who. I love you know voice actors. I love voice acting and I'm really excited to see like who's going to be cast for all these different characters that I love and see like how can they bring the character to life because that's part of the magic haha of all of this is giving fans something that they can really immerse themselves in well then i have a pretty in my opinion excellent piece of news for you nico is being voiced by the voice actress from the runaways tv show okay yeah i mean like the show was far from perfect but she really for a fictional character that is so deeply ingrained in my psyche and so connected to me you know when you have a unique name and there's a character that you share that unique name with and some maybe less than attractive traits you do definitely connect with them on a special level and i really thought the performances from the cast of runaways were certainly not the problem with the show it just never really gelled in the way that a lot of other mcu properties were by purposely not integrating it and that's even what we're talking about here by saying the x-men being reintegrated is such a big thing for the storytelling opportunities because that's kind of what held runaways back in a lot of ways but jonah you said something pretty spot on with you know midnight suns having a bit of a block when it comes to you know maybe a person isn't into XCOM or maybe they're not you know super into tactical whatever you know tactical strategy whatever it is that might hold somebody back we were 
talking the other day about, you know, the the folly of gotcha games and how they unfortunately get me a lot. And you said nothing captures people's hearts and minds like alternate skins. And let me tell you, if you're somebody who really loves these characters, there's a number of skins that might make you go a little crazy. You can get magic in the standard with the standard edition. But if you buy up through the legendary edition, you can get the Phoenix Five costume that is also available in the Digital Plus edition, but you can get her in a new mutant costume for this game. I don't know if every listener fully understands when it comes to any form of gambling game where you're trying to, you know, you have a small chance to win these characters, especially something that's seasonal. Not that these costumes are going to be seasonal. You'll be able to unlock most of them depending on how much you're willing to pay for said costumes. If you really like them, I don't think any money would be wasted. This is all for your own personal enjoyment, so spend however much you feel comfortable with and you know get what you want to get but uh people love seasonal costumes you know put a character in a santa outfit candy cane outfit put some put somebody in a halloween costume people go crazy well there's a number of costumes here that i think will get people to go pretty wild not only can you get magic in the additional phoenix 5 and new mutant costumes but up through the legendary edition includes wolverine in both an x-force look and cowboy logan i'm excited thinking about it (laughs) you can also get two additional looks for Scarlet Witch. There's additional looks for every character, although strangely, Doctor Strange only has one additional look. There's unannounced skins for the unannounced heroes. But if you get the season pass, you will also get four additional DLCs, each including a new playable hero, each including new missions, new enemies. So this is one of those things where I'm going to keep an eye on this because I am curious to know what characters are going to get bundled with this. It's something we've talked about a bit on this show here and there. But if you really want to know where the trajectory of Marvel is attempting to go, take a look at the tie-in products. When Iron Fist and Luke Cage started appearing in Spider-Man cartoons, just a few years later, they started appearing in live-action TV. What a great way to introduce this to kids now when they'll have spending power in a few years. So the key idea here being you're building brand loyalty and building an introduction point to new characters. While it might seem frivolous that these characters being in what could ultimately be a poorly received game, or it could be a mega blockbuster and spawn multiple spinoffs like, you know, any of the Lego games or Marvel Ultimate Alliance. But I think it's worth noting that we are seeing not just Wolverine, but also magic being brought into something like this. And I'm pretty excited for October 7th. I'm going to keep an eye out on the news leading up to that. The trailer that they dropped was great. Jonah, where are you standing on this game as we have to wait like five months for it? It is right around the corner. Those five months are going to go by quick. And the thing I'm most excited for is learning who the rest of our playable characters are going to be. That's really what the biggest draw is going to be. Who are you going to get to fight alongside with? And I expect it's going to be a lot of very popular heroes. To go along what you were saying, I think that Nico is probably the Nico Minoru is the best addition because I think plenty of people might know kind of who she is if they watch the TV show Runaways or, you know, you're a Runaways fan comic, but I don't know if every Marvel fan across every genre, whether you're a fan of the MCU, you're just a fan of the TV shows, you're just a fan of the comics, all all across the Marvel verse in general, know fully about the Runaways in a way that more dedicated fans to the series would know. And I think that she's a great addition to help bring that title into a more expansive cultural vernacular. And I think that's a really great thing that they get to do with this game because 
we're going to have our popular heroes, you know, we have our Spider-Man, we have our Wolverine, we have our Iron Man and Captain America, we got Captain Marvel, we have these characters that, you know, you feel comfortable with, you know who they are, they're popular, they're going to sell, but and that's their opportunity to add some characters that not only deserve some spotlight, but can really help bring in some new fans to those characters, to those series. So I am very excited. You said something that is extremely smart and telling. When Ultimate Marvel versus Capcom 3 came out, now this came out in 2011, 11 years ago at this point, when the Ultimate Edition for that game came out, Marvel and Capcom both had six new characters added. And the two from Marvel that really stuck out to me were Doctor Strange and Rocket Raccoon. A part of me thinks that this was a little bit of a plan by Marvel knowing that they know what's going to be upcoming when it comes to their movies. So they're kind of like slowly trying to trickle in important characters here and there of who do they want their audiences to know about. Also, uh, a new addition to that game was Iron Fist, and that was a little bit before the TV show came out. So I am very interested to see who's going to be included because that does give a little bit of an insight of whose Marvel is trying to push forward a little bit. I've said that my hopeful character is Elsa Bloodstone. Nico, is there somebody that you're really hoping for, whether they're a deep cut, whether they're somebody who has some mild popularity or someone that you think kind of fits that description of people may or may not know them, but they could be a really good gateway to people to their respective titles or series? So I love your question because it feels like I could answer it two ways. I want to answer number one, who would I want to see in this game, you know, as somebody to help cement as a future idea that really fits the tone of this series? I would say either one of my precious horn heads, either Matt or Electra in the Daredevil helm, would really fit the tone of this game. It would help set the path for those characters in this sort of sphere going forward. But if I have an opportunity to see somebody bigger picture really cemented in the kind of cultural vernacular, I would really like to see it be Jane as Valkyrie. I love Jane as Thor, and she is such a tremendous victory for Marvel in every way. And this upcoming film is going to be a spectacular opportunity to showcase this incredible character. But where she sits in the comics these days is in a much different capacity where she kicks ass and her series is on issue 20 and it seems uncancelable. She is one of the only female characters to have a female writer at the time and that is something that is just so significant. So I would really like to see Jane as Valkyrie enter the cultural vernacular the way we've been talking about sort of this trickle in of other characters. Now I know you said you'd want Elsa in this game but is there somebody you would like to see begin to penetrate the bigger picture of cultural understanding of Marvel? Yes because I actually do have a second answer. Elsa Bloodstone really does kind of fit that role but somebody else and to add another element of cosmic characters because from what the trailers have shown us and obviously we uh, we don't know everything Captain Marvel is there and she is this cosmic character with this cosmic duty and power. I would love to see Marvel's Hercules. Oh, oh, absolutely. Especially when he looks so fucking sexy hot in fucking Contest of Champions. Yeah. And this is, you know, wish fulfillment to me being able to grow very close, hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, to a very large muscular character whose uh, sexuality is extremely fluid and, oh boy, uh, does things for me. But more importantly, I think he's a fascinating character that will actually help add this cosmic identity tie-in because they're, you know, the Marvel 
single verse expands across not only multiple universes, but just planets and galaxies within its own self-containment that I think having characters that are, you know, from space related, whether it's specifically Hercules or someone from the Guardians of the Galaxy, someone along those lines, I think could really help, you know, again, push the full narrative of like, this is our expansive roster where we have a little bit of everybody from everywhere to be able to bridge that gap of this is our universe. These are the characters that'll help you get to where you want to go. All right. You know what? Then I'm going to throw in one more thing. I'm going to say, if I can't have Jane as Valkyrie, I'll take Angela. I love Angela. She is, you know, everybody's favorite metal bikini clad angel. What's not to love? I think Angela is a great choice too. And you know, speaking of Asgardian characters, that's a great time to segue over to our coverage today where inexplicably the Asgardian characters do manage to appear in a multitude of ways. Not only are we going to have references to Loki later on in our coverage of Legion of X, but many people might not realize that the Shi'ar have a complicated history with Asgard thanks to the incredible Jason Aaron run of Thor, which just kind of got referenced in the last couple of minutes. So you definitely, if you want to know more about the Shi'ar and Asgard, want to check out the Shi'ar Asgard War from the Mighty Thor featuring Jane Foster in the titular role. It's got some Quentin Choir in it. It's definitely one of my favorite arcs of literally all time in any book. Now, you guys can find that story in The Mighty Thor 13 through 19. That's from 2018. It really is a phenomenal series, and I definitely recommend checking it out. But until then, definitely check out this amazing coverage of Marauders, where we find out a little bit more about the crazy plans of the Shi'ar. And don't forget, if you guys like what you hear, you might even like what you see. So don't forget to give us a subscribe over on Twitter and Instagram at X is for podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to another exciting segment of X's for Podcasts, where we talk about Mutants Marvel's magic week after week. I'm Nathan, you can find me online, screaming about all the gays in space on Twitter at Dazzler AOA. Screaming about gays in space. Yay! And that would make me Raven, aka Dame Red Thread. How you doing? I'm Kyle, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at uh, Drantis82, that's D-R-A-N-T-I-S-8-2. Hello, it's me, Steve, and you can find me on Twitter at HowdyDuda, that's H-O-W-D-Y-D-U-D-A. I guess that means we're talking about Marauders number three, Marooned in Space. This is brought to us by the amazing Steve Orlando as our writer, Eleonora Carlini as our artist, Matt Miller as our color artist, VC as Ariana Mayer as our letterer and production, and I'm loving the change from just letterer to also production as well. Well, we noticed that in the Jane and the Mighty Thors. Love that change. Tom Muller on overall design. And our cover artist on our main cover is Kaul Nigu. I got the standard one. It's amazing. I love all of the guns pointing at the Marauders team. I don't know if y'all got digital or, you know, what covers y'all picked up. So I had to do digital this time around, but I really want to go out and get a couple of the variant covers if they like really grab me especially from david valdeon he's oh yes oh, oh his covers are so good but i honestly i loved all of the art that i saw for this issue like oh this cover is just absolutely amazing and lovely and this kind of blend between like watercolor and digital art feel it's really starting to click for me yeah i didn't really like the first cover by kale Ngu, but i much more appreciated this last couple and this this last one looks really really good yeah i really liked it there have been a lot of the more 
realistic-ish looking covers lately on a number of the books that we've been reading, and some of them have felt kind of weird to me, but I really like this one a lot. Yeah, that first one was a little bit more uncanny, but this one, everybody feels kind of realized and serious and like physically there. I really like that. Mm -hmm. It really feels like they dialed in the feel of the book and the feel of the character that they really wanted to, and it really comes across in the artwork, and I think they might be the next peach momoko for me like i'm really starting to dig the art i'm starting to recognize it more and i want to see it i really do moving on from our beautiful cover art just the beautiful interior art i have to say i know raven you mentioned some of it before that like this issue is just beautifully done all over like the colors and the appearances of the characters you can tell from page to page what the character's supposed to be some books that we've been reading can't always tell that it's the same character but like (laughs) everybody right like their noses stay the same yeah i i really appreciate it i I wasn't necessarily sold with the first issue but i think eleanor carlini has like a little bit of baldion's like cartoonishness while keeping character designs solid and a little bit of like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. dynamism and bombastic energy and it really works i really i really enjoy it i'm really digging her kate with the beautiful wild hair i love it yes i I love that she has the big amazing hair i love the like it's like a, it's a hot look the collar that she's got on where it's open but it also yes. like mm-hmm. makes a diamond that frames her star of david that is yes. a really nice touch after mm-hmm. like, long of the last marauders book like seeming to go out of its way to like hide it or make it not present and it's just like bam it's mm-hmm. there yeah and in the coat the coat still looks so beautiful if i ever find yes. a coat like that for myself <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I mean i know how to make those coats in fact i actually did make one of these coats in that exact style a number of years ago so i'm just saying make it happen Another thing I want to mention that about the art that I love is I love Conan's battle armor for this mm. issue. I love that she's not out there battling in her swimsuit. Yeah, kind of funny mm-hmm. to see on the cover that she's still wearing the swimsuit when like she's been wearing this suit the entire time of the comic so far. Right. Well, that's and her spacesuit, isn't it? Yeah, but I, like I, I, I mean, really the- love the spacesuits. Yeah, I really like them. Like it'd be nice if they were like the team suits, but I doubt that they'll stick past like a space journey. But mm-hmm. it is nice. To- on get like a change up for the first time in a really long time i love the bathing suit look because i you know that's that's my happy that's when i got to know her and whatnot but it's the same thing as goblin queen as as madeline Pryor. like there needs to be some change up there needs to be more than just sexy bathing suit all the time and i actually really really love this space suit that they're wearing both her and bishop like aurora still has her little you know her little cute dark academia speed suit akihiro <laughs> of course is still you know naked from the waist up because that's just him but you I mean, know, something you I... never need to put more clothes on is akihiro. <laughs> no no he could use a couple of change-ups just so it's <laughs> shredded you know i'm just saying i'm really appreciating the change in pace in the clothing because again i now i can focus strictly on what is saying the exposition what's going on around it but also i'm really kind of digging this very impactful powered, fully covered, sleek, stylish look that they've given her and Bishop, and I'm here for it. It's funny how it's just like Bishop and Psylocke in those suits <laughs> on this whole they were the only ones who were like, yeah, we need a space suit on. Bishop even has like a, a scarf to match it. He's always got to look slightly like he's about to go into the good, the bad, and the ugly. I do really like Cassandra Nova's uh, aggressively beheaded head. 
Oh my god, the aggressively beheaded. Oh my I like Xavier in every way. Yes. Uh, Cassandra was a real star in this issue, and my favorite yeah, part was. of her, she was yeah, amazing. She was. I adore murder hobo auntie. Like, I absolutely <laughs> love how they have fully realized, and they're not trying to hide it. See, and that's the thing with Professor X, with Xavier, he's always trying to hide behind high moral ground or ideals or just a lot of bullshit. Cassandra Nova is the exact opposite. It's all of that naked hubris, that aggression that I know more than you. I've seen the future. I've read your DNA. You are so fucked you don't even know. It's just, it's there. It's in your face. And for once, it's being used against people who have equal or higher levels of hubris. And it is so glorious to watch. And I know she's going to be a problem in the future. I don't love her specifically, but I love her role as as this murder auntie. Yeah. yeah. She's definitely the greatest enemy mutant kind has ever known. And she's also the most fun on the page. <laughs> <laughs> With her green lightsaber. <laughs> It's always good to have a powerful enemy as your ally. <laughs> I don't know if you call her an ally, but she's definitely uh, a, a tool for a purpose, I suppose. Yes, yes. <laughs> a means to an end, as it were. <laughs> not, not that she killed anybody. She just happened to be a means. She's absolutely a tail that is going to be wagging the dog. I love that anybody can come in and make Deathbird look like the tame ant. Okay. Yeah, or Deathbird. Right? Seems yeah. Like a comparison. <laughs> probably not great that Xandra's two ants and the people most in her life right now are like two extremely not great <laughs> allies for no, well, not. I mean Zandra is just this little lost child honestly she's honestly, so I think, meek I think she's so different in this issue I think she was that up yeah. until this issue I think mm-hmm. in this issue she really takes charge she shows that she's the empress of a galaxy spanning empire she seems eloquent, educated, and honestly courageous in this issue, which makes it all the worse when we get to the end. She always seems elegant and well-spoken and poised and whatnot, because that's how she was raised. She's aristocracy. She's nobility. But she always just seems to be a little bit naive as to yes. how much intrigue and espionage and under the scenes kind of stuff is literally sitting right around her. I'm like, bitch, you were raised a nobility. You should know that there's nothing but intrigue within courts. Like, you should not trust pretty much anybody in your employ. She's a telepath too, so you'd think that she'd at least have some kind of awareness that stuff is going on. I'm sure that at some point she did not have full control over her power and was hearing these things mm-hmm. as she was developing. How is she so naive to the existence of these things? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily suit her as an empress, but I will say it is a refreshing breath of fresh air to meet a telepath who does not generally read everybody's mind without their permission unless it comes right down to it and it becomes a problem. And it's nice to see somebody in a position of like absolute evil power being like, hey, if we've wronged you and this breaks our bond forever, like that's fine and we'll try to work a path forward but you will name the terms of reconciliation i think that it is such a powerful thing to 
sense. And it is so brave of her to say like, hey, this is probably going to put my entire empire at risk, but I got to say, this is the right thing to do. And if a person in power isn't the one to lead with that, then they can never be reconciled. And I I think this is a shockingly courageous move for somebody who runs an empire. Is it a smart move for her? Probably not, but it is the right move. I mean, I guess we could have some ethical (laughs) leaders. (laughs) Also, I think it shows like, you know, since she was hatched, her first impression on, you know, like what her parents was came from somebody who probably believed in one of the most altruistic views of who our parents were like you know rogue obviously idolizes xavier and you know thinks of him as a saint for what he was able to do, help her with to give the purpose he was able to give her and the purpose that mm-hmm. she saw i think she was sort of impressioned with that really really idealistic view of who you're supposed to be and i think that really helped carry throughout everything that she's had and now when she's making those tough decisions you know she's she's doing it with what she thought her parents would want yeah she's making moral choices even if even if they're not the politically expedient choice or even like the manipulative intriguing choice but she is making the morally correct ones i think i totally 100 percent agree with you and funny enough birds when they are born do imprint quite often on the nearest moving thing so dogs that accidentally have chickens geese or goslings ducklings imprint upon them they will have imprints and they will actually start mimicking the behaviors of the thing that they imprinted on so i i could see where when this child was born and had to spend so much time with rogue that they picked up a lot of rogue's naivety and i think rogue has really only become more realized in the last I want to say a couple of years and like really started to wake up to the bullshit that, you know, Professor X has done. But yeah, 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 I, I get what you're saying. I do get what you're saying. And, you know, we're just lucky Xander doesn't talk with a, either a Southern or a Louisiana accent because she also just spent a lot of time with Oh my God, camp. if she sounded like Remy. <laughs> <laughs> we, don't, we don't know that she doesn't. <laughs> maybe she squawks with an accent. Okay? She, she, she may be speaking in like a very stilted, high, courtly version of like Cajun X. <gasps> Oh my god, I would die laughing. Welcome to my humble abode, squawk y'all. What if they made a MCU Marvel movie and the Shi'ar all talk like that? Like, we don't know what the Shi'ar sound like. I don't well, want to hear an alien species I, that's not British. Please no that, more. That. <laughs> right, seriously. But no, I would laugh so hard if they did have a bit of a, a French Cajun Creole type accent. We get some great Cassandra Nova feats. We get some amazing evilness from her. But we also get to see her go up against Gladiator and Gladiator, you know... He's, he's beaten by how he always is, right? Just by shattering his self-confidence. Well, like, even, though, even though he didn't lose... Yeah, let me rewind. Like, she dusted his arm. <laughs> he, like, kind of lost, but kind of won. But then Xander's like, no, spare my aunt. So, like... Yeah. Yeah. I think he was winning, personally. Uh, although I do love the incredible balls on Cassandra Nova to be like... He's like, I, the only reason I haven't vaporized you yet is because you're affiliated with Krakoa. And she goes, interesting! I waive my affiliation with Krakoa. Let's see what happens. I love that she just is like, come on, hit me! Like, she's John Moxley or something? Yes. <laughs> Dude, I am very, very sure that she could have taken his ass. And Tempo had just dusted his 
his arm. Mm -hmm. So I am very sure that Cassandra Nova, murder hobo auntie who reads DNA memory, I am so sure she could have hurt him in ways that he could not even imagine. Hell, look what she did to Beetle and the Dragon. I I love Beetle and I love that Beetle's showing up here because I like these G-type star people that show up in the Shi'ar. They're just, they're literally stars contained within a shell. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's probably the star. Oh, okay. I think that is like the coolest fucking thing. And then she just beats Beetle by like cutting cutting it open. Then he ruptures a a hard skin suit that is damn near impenetrable. And by rupturing it, he can no longer contain his own gravitational pull. So it crushes in on itself. I love the like James Bond-esque line that Cassandra delivers while she murders Beetle, which is the collapse under your own gravity, I'm afraid. An apt metaphor for Imperials, I should know. Like, that is, oh it's a great God. metaphor and she's so right and i like i hate to be like rooting and cheering but she's like so right <laughs> well look at why she took both of them apart it wasn't necessary just out of her own pride although <laughs> that plays a huge part but also they had basically lobotomized a symbiote who was a mutant mm-hmm. and enslaved it that's how yeah. they got part of their power so she's just kind of taking back what was taken so very very long ago so are these these wet skin symbiotes that they use as their blood the the, uh, the king crimson it's king crimson are these the first generation of mutants that we've heard so much about first blood spilled mm. I mean they are like literally their blood oh I'm thinking that possibly but I also think that maybe that they took something even earlier than that probably they did there was a because i mean this seems like a very new development and obviously the first bloods build was like probably like a million years ago or whatever but there was a data page in the last issue that said something about how they've been collecting mutant dna for weapons and i think this is part of that program even when they were first moving about the stars as just predatory raiders they had already taken something and they were hiding that when they upgraded i guess you could call it <laughs> when they really hit their stride that that's when they were like, we have to cover up this information because if it ever, if it ever comes out, like our entire existence is because of what we stole. Yeah, I think at this so, point yeah. it's very clear that Steve Orlando is a big Shi'ar fan. Like, oh yeah, Shi'ar stuff. Like, <laughs> like, like, there's a there's a reference in this comic to the Zorians who have only ever appeared in one comic previously, mm-hmm. and like, there's they are just like a very Star Trek esque alien species that you know is the reason that most alien species throughout the galaxy look humanoid is because we're all descended from them it's an ancient aliens thing and i cannot believe that this is only the like second time they've ever like come up <laughs> it's absolutely wild and like the deep knowledge of history of like you know the time when cassandra nova was in space and taking over the shiar empire and, and like building in all of this like mythology that builds on stuff that came before like eric the red it's like steve orlando is like what are all these extremely forgettable tiny things about the shiar and i'm gonna make them a space opera epic and i, I love that that's how it's coming out and i I loved how we go from the humor of the you know the symbiote dragon and she's, she's like never let it be said that Krakoa's stepmother doesn't relish her work yeah beautiful <laughs> I love oh, that I know I was like, screaming about that and then when she's like I drop in on Sprite's pirate club I, I love her insistence to call Kate Sprite yes. <laughs> oh my god yes. right uh. 
makes me so mad. I mean, it's very in character that she consistently choose to use your like childhood superhero name just, yeah. to, make, just to make you feel like a little brat. Also, that trailer change. Did anybody else notice how like the weird scraps that are flying around Cassandra Nova's head of dry skin turns blue when she switches focus to Kate? I was trying to figure out what that signified. Yeah, I was confused by that too. I'm not really sure what was going on there. I don't know if that's just like moment Priz died or something or what. Well, A, I think that was the destruction of the last kind of little bits of Priz and also, you know, she's like kind of wiping down because that was a bloody affair to say the least. But also yeah. I think she's kind of popping. I think that's supposed to signify that she's popping into a different plane of existence because they're all in Somnus's dreamscape at the moment. So I think she's kind of giving a quick pop over to, hey guys, you might want to, you know, wake up sometime soon. Um, okay. I'm on my way kind of thing. Because <laughs> yeah, like she wakes them up from their their whole little thing just to you know let them know i love tempo also i oh i love tempo she only gets a couple of panels but she is so good yeah they're really important panels between like Mm -hmm. using the combined aurora and tempo powers to do like light speed thinking with psylocke that was like super cool that was amazing and then like yeah her little like flip over gladiator's fist and when she does it the clock that kind of like appears in the art is like I love that. She's just like turning the time up on him. Yes. She threw a millennia. He has such a super powered being like he is no slouch he could give that entire team an absolute run for their money and they would probably die horribly but her to just absolutely dump everything she has into that one move i'm like that was fucking brilliant and at least it buys you time it seems like he has it back in like a couple pages later but i don't know if that's an art error it's either an art error or doesn't he regenerate he must have high speed regeneration i mean he is superman in the marvel universe that's why he exists i I do like that cassandra is like oh you've gotten so confident i'm gonna have to you know break that down oh my god when she comes in my god i screamed laughing Uh, a i love her outfit it screams what she is just that controlled slightly imperialistic slightly militaristic it's got this very very particular vibe and her wearing the skull uh, isn't that a it's either battle skull or or somebody else who was close to him but like just coming in wearing that i think she came with it like i tried to figure out if it was priz's skull or betel's hat it's not either i think she just had it (laughs) i think she took that from somebody because she said that she already killed two of their number plus a shit ton more coming in that's why she's still covered in gore what better way to complete your safari outfit by wearing <laughs> somebody that you just beheaded? Oh my god, intergalactic safari realness. <laughs> just saying. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, my god. And she's wearing. <laughs> oh, right. She is so freaking good at what she does. Again, I, I, she I is love it. She is what she does. <laughs> I love it. What she does is extremely not nice. Yeah, no, and that's the great thing about it. And I said it earlier in the uh, in the green room that I can't read her without reading her with Isma's voice. That kind of that that aggressive purr that gives that kind of 
edge of, you know, yeah, I can laugh, but also this is terrifying. I, I absolutely read her in Eastman's voice. That is so funny. Like every time. <laughs> but yeah, I never thought I would like to hate her, but like I really love, love to hate her. And like Zebralander made her fun and Killy and like cool. I'm so glad he didn't try to like change her into a good guy because I could never buy that. But I, I like this fun and Killy care we're given. Yeah, it would have been a complete failure yeah. of the imagination yeah. to try to rehabilitate yeah. her as mm-hmm. maybe somebody else has tried to do before. But after that, we get a lot of Xandra stuff. And I personally think Xandra is like way better in this in this issue. She's no longer just like lost and confused. Yeah, there's some stuff she doesn't know that she obviously should know, but it's because she's not been just invading everybody's minds. But she gets a lot of great lines in this. She's impetuous, though. Only the weak stare blindly at their mistakes. I love that. It's like the Kin Crimson are all about hiding the shame of an Imperial Empire so that it can continue pretending that it's so great. And she's just like, mm-hmm. how are we ever going to get there if we don't look directly at our mistakes? And I think that's and you're right. She may be a little impetuous, Raven, but like, look at who her parents were. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that is completely yeah. true. When I say impetuous, I mean, she's still relatively young compared to everybody around her. And if you're going from being kind of reserved and naive and following everybody around you to making all of these big decisions, of course, they're not all going to be like good, smart, even level headed ones. But I also I have to commend her actual courage because she knows that this is going to open up a can of worms and that it could be very painful for her people, but she's not going to shrink from it, which... I think, honestly, it's kind of a social mirror in a lot of ways because millennials, Gen Zs, Gen Alpha are getting far more aggressive at wanting to know the truth versus wanting to know the story. Yeah. What Xander does here is like unthinkable for an Earth leader to do. Any leader of any country would never do anything like this. They will keep their secrets at the expense of anybody else's dignity or lives or, you know, rehabilitation or reparation. This is like absolutely unthinkable for an Earth leader to do. And I'm sure it's unthinkable for a Shi'ar leader to do, which is why I like, find it so incredibly refreshing to see. Like, yep. obviously it doesn't go well for her, but I think that there was no other like correct moral choice that somebody could have made. And it's honestly a decision I never expected to be made. My one concern with that decision is her leaving Gladiator behind. That doesn't seem yeah. like something that the, the leader of an empire should be doing. Yeah, she should not have left Gladiator behind. She must have assumed the mutants were did you see Gladiator's reaction to Cassandra Nova? And yes, Cassandra yes. Nova has rescinded her affiliation with Krakoa for the time being. Do you think Gladiator, who loathes her with an undying passion of a falling star, do you think for one fucking second he'd be able to keep his cool for any amount of time around her? <laughs> By that same token, though, would he ever leave Xandra alone with Cassandra Nova? I mean, she's yeah. not alone. There's a bunch of other yeah. Like without Gladiator to keep an eye on her, I don't know that he would agree to that. But he also has to listen to rules. So I'm sure she just was like, Gladiator, stay behind for no reason. Yeah. Uh, Gladiator, stay behind because I'm not going to have to deal with you and murder Hobo Auntie at the same time. Yeah, he's (laughs) probably kicking himself after this issue for not objecting harder, which you know he objected. You know he was like, Sandra, this is not. And he's just like, nope, let's get to that. 
like, how do we feel about the end of this issue and the apparent execution of Zandra by the Crimson Kin? Well, we we haven't really talked about it yet, but the Shi'ar built a giant pan-dimensional prison in space at the center of which we're assuming is the Chronicle, the book of all their crimes and shames that they've been hiding. We know also that it contains a shitload of traitors to the Kin Crimson cause and the fraternity of Raptors leaders. So we're going to see some Darkhawks in there. Exciting. Next issue does imply that we're going to be doing an, a pan-dimensional prison break. And I'm like extremely mm-hmm. excited to see how that goes. I Hell feel like yeah. this cannot be real death for Zandra. Like, mm-hmm. no, I just... No, no. That easy? It it feels like a fake out. It it, yeah. it feels yeah. like your standard standard Marvel Comics fake out. I can't look well, at this and be like, oh no, Zandra's actually dead. Like, <laughs> no, is Gladiator, no. Gladiator going to kill every mutant who is there as a result? Because I think he would. Oh, I think he'd try and get his ass handed to him by Murder Hobo Auntie. But also, I don't think Murder Hobo Auntie would allow for her niece to be brutally murdered like that because she already knew what was coming and she was like no no no, no. watch this i'm like bitch what is wrong with wait no never mind we know what's wrong with you fuck I mean, to, be fair, to be fair i don't think she cares at all about xander's life oh no no no, <laughs> like, no, no. no. but i don't think she's done with what zandra could do for her machinations mm-hmm. yeah that's fair. so yeah I know she is fucked up on every level possible, morally, ethically, mentally fucked. But I also don't think she would just so easily let her niece die. Not because she's altruistic, not because, oh my God, family, but more like, yeah, Yeah. you don't just get to kill family. I get to kill family. I might need your DNA later on. Like, Mm -hmm. like, mm, yeah, yeah. But, but also, can we say how much I absolutely love Zandra making Delphos kneel? That Just was great. <laughs> yeah. Shit. That was awesome. It was great seeing her use her powers in that way. Thoughts are now the property of the state. Terrifying. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I saw Auntie come out of her for half a second. <laughs> oh, property of the state. Holy shit. <laughs> Mm. But yeah, Hello. Uh, yeah. Interesting, uh, interesting question though. If Xandra is dead, couldn't they resurrect her on Krakoa? <gasps> yes. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm. Provided that provided that Mister Sinister has access to her DNA, right? I'm sure got it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm sure if he doesn't have it, I'm sure he could get it because I'm sure the Chiar would be very interested in having the mutants resurrect their Empress. You know, because yeah. they well, want to resurrect the Empress. Well, technically, they don't need her DNA anymore because they have meeting room. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, good, that's a good point. If she is actually dead, I think that the Shi'ar owing a favor to Krakoa mm-hmm. for resurrecting their empress would be a great thing in Krakoa's favor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, like, the Shi'ar and the Krakoans are basically, like, still married. <laughs> Unfortunately, Krakoa is still friends with this genocidal empire. Yeah. Right. For now. It's like... just because they just happen to have friendly leaders. Like, all the time they have leaders who are, like, romantically or familially involved with mutants, and that's the only reason that they're, like, friends with this... <laughs> bloodthirsty autocratic theocratic empire that allows oh no religion God. other than theirs that doesn't hit close to home at all mm. and they're the worst probably because of the king grimson going around being like just cleaning up war crimes mm. <laughs>
And I mean, even yeah. even Lilandra made some real, real shit decisions. It's not just like yeah. Deathburn or, well, you know, we, We've seen brother. what the courts are like, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> seen them go to court and they're like, is there any space that is not Shi'ar space? No. Ultimate colonialists. So ultimately, <laughs> I don't know what happens to their empire, but I hope we get First Mutants back. I can't wait for, like, the next issue. Just from the little peak that we get in the black and white, like, it looks like Tempo is really going to be in her space, like, where, where she needs to be and it looks like she's gonna be at the forefront and that makes me so happy yeah it's great to see tempo in like not only a purely super heroic role but like a really important and really cool one that gets time and space i'm I'm really appreciating that gone are Mm -hmm. the days of kitty pride having to save tempo for no reason (laughs) (laughs) i do love the rise of tempo like i i always loved her character even in the mlf like her reasoning what little we got behind her as a character was really well thought out and like she didn't want to have to be a terrorist but she like just wanted to be a college student but she just kind of had to because the situation forced her into it right yeah. so like you know to see her growth as as a heroic character and getting to thrive in a society that is built for mutants is is amazing and like i think she fulfills the promise of krakoa more than a lot of characters like like kate like kate was always loved and accepted even as a mutant right so like mm-hmm. tempo had it hard so she's really fulfilling that promise of Krakoa as a nation and as an idea. Yeah, yeah. And in a way, she's achieved the MLF's original goals. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I do love how it looks like we are getting different focuses in each issue, right? So, like, different mm-hmm. characters are having some great moments. So, I cannot wait to get more of this characterization of Tempo. The first issue, I it set up a lot of stuff and I didn't know if I was going to like where the story was going to go. But after these next two issues, I am like all on board and sign me the fork up for everything. <laughs> yeah, I really right. like this series. I'm very much enjoying it. it. It's not my favorite of the X-Tiles coming out right now, but it's absolutely not even in the bottom half. I'm really enjoying it. Right. I am honestly, I'm blown away at how quickly this one is really clicking into place. And it has definitely become one of those titles that I'm like, yep, I'm definitely going to be picking this up because this is so much fun. And it's interesting and it's it's different, but still resonates as very much being connected with the X-Titles. And I love it. Yeah, I, I love that this book has been able to be a fun good time have some good fun humor moments but not have to go to some of the humor that other writers go where you're like oh that's borderline offensive right <laughs> yeah right? i do for this book now yeah. that duggan is not on it yes. yeah <laughs> and thank goodness you know like so far we like I'm, I'm loving this art and and we're not having to deal with like the liefeld syndrome like mm-hmm. everybody's anatomy looks like where it should be and it's clean it's concise i love it you know when we see kneecaps they're where they're supposed to be the chest cavities look plausible (laughs) like (laughs) it's so good like this entire book feels really well thought out and a lot of the pitfalls that could happen with these kind of books that sometimes are still being made on other titles i'm not seeing it here and i'm loving the fact that it's so gently and well curated yeah carlini has a real talent for comic timing and that's that's Mm. really been coming across a lot lately and i've I'm really enjoying it. Even the scene where like Akihiro is like, sure, the old fashioned way. It's just like it's <laughs> Akihiro. God damn, dude. It's a Wolverine moment that I would honestly hate if the art wasn't also so cartoonishly hilarious where he's got like one eye closed and his face contorted in the grin. Like it is And Aurora it's... is like looking so lovingly at him, like <laughs> Yes. <laughs> She's like, Oh, he's so cute. <laughs> 
kind of winks at the audience and says, like, I know this yeah. is a ridiculous moment. Yeah. Oh Carlini didn't make Cassandra Nova look like a beautiful young person. Carlini made right. Cassandra Nova look like the hideous ancient woman that she the is. The octogenarian that she by. is, and I'm here for it. <laughs> Still has all rockin' bod, okay? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> I love the fact that she is bald, that she has heavy wrinkles, that she's got this this very maniacal grin that is absolutely accented by the deepness of the lines and the wrinkles in her face. Like, with these shriveled, thin, black lips, I'm like, bitch, you put every single year on that face, and I am here for it. And it travels to the hands, too. If you see her hands, her hands look gnarled and aged. And that's like most of the times you just see, you know, just a soft hand, just, you know, no lines, no extra wrinkles. And it's like, oh, you know, it's a hand. You don't think too much of it with her. Hers are like bony and gnarled and have this like extra kind of menacing, almost claw like quality to them. And I'm here for it because it's those little details that can honestly just blow a book away and make it just pop. And I yeah. love it. Can't wait to get more close ups yeah. on Cassandra Nova's maniacal face. That is yeah. Just- Oh god. Also, shout out to the letterer cuz <laughs> yes. the lettering is just so lovely. I love the sound effects. They are yeah. so perfect. Oh yeah. my god. Ooh, I really liked uh, Delphos's like weird Kin Crimson yes. type telepathy. It's like pink and it's formed in like a different kind of bubble and it's drawn in such a way, it's lettered and drawn in such a way that I'm like, all right, Xander can't hear this so- somehow. Mm-hmm. This is like her channel and it's very immediately apparent and I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. This is a book that really came together for me and I am psyched as hell. I actually want to know about the Eric the Red family. Right. <laughs> Something I never thought I would ever say. Yeah. I'm kind of hoping that we see some progression in the Deathbird portion of things. The Kin Crimson was actually the ones behind her being launched to the other side of space. So the, yeah. Yeah. Teleport to brood space, which, by the way, I called that. <laughs> it was on that one. Yes, you did. I love that I was not insane reading that comic because honestly, uh, <laughs> Secret X Men was for me uh, very difficult to follow the first couple times I read it through, and I wasn't sure why. But yeah, Delphos was clearly up to something the entire time, and I'm glad that yeah. we finally got some resolution on that. Yeah, justice for Oracle. Okay, like <laughs> justice for Oracle. <laughs> you know, I don't like Oracle at all for a lot of really good reasons. But, right. But I love that costume. <laughs> it's a great yeah. design. Like. Like, Delphos made us think all along Oracle was the one, like, being shady, doing some shady shit. But no, it was Delphos. Mm-hmm. But I love um, it. So, Deathbird, way more badass than I thought. She's just, like, off beating the shit out of brood drone after brood drone. They show, like, a graveyard of brood that she's already, like, killed. Like, there's just vast planes of dead brood underneath her. And so she's just been cutting them down, slicing them. She's had a lot of dealings with the brood. I think she first showed up in that brood arc. This is a vacation. They gave her a vacation. That's true. She is not being punished very well she gets to do her favorite thing which is slaughter (laughs) (laughs) you're not punishing her and relaxed and rejuvenated i have never been so excited to see what is going to happen with the shiar saga so like that is something that is new for me how many issues do you think it'll be before the star jammers show up again i'm hoping only two to three i need my skunk lady I need that skunk lady, Hepzibah. It's gotta be shortly after they finish off with the crag. 
With Steve Orlando, we could actually get Cerise to reappear. We could also get Ben thing. I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> we could get a lot of things. All realities. It just makes sense. <laughs> well. Okay. They're not too far off, honestly. Man-Thing protects the nexus of all realities, along with uh, Titania and Thoth. Yeah, and now we're at a prison. Exactly, a pan-dimensional prison that, that you know, who knows how many gateways it uses. <laughs> mm-hmm. So no, like, you could absolutely, I mean, who knows, they could accidentally come back out on Earth in Man-Thing's Rogue. Hmm. I love the fact that this has been set up so well. It feels like an epic space opera slash pirate movie i'm 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 loving this and i really want to see more i love space pirates i love space ships space seas i love the wrath of khan i hope that they are not buried alive in this prison for too long (laughs) the art is very different from a lot of the other stuff that we've seen and that is an absolute boon for it because it doesn't feel like just anybody else's art it feels very specific to itself and it really clicks into the story and the story is like fun and exciting and has lots of energy and it's the same with the art so i feel like it's really working in tandem and i'm i'm so here for it i love it i hope a few other series that i read also find their footing like this one already has in three issues i'm looking forward to seeing where things go with the kin crimson and if they discover any more secrets that they may have been hiding there's gotta be more than just these first mutants there has to be there are 10 shames mm-hmm. cassandra nova even said it herself that she read it in their dna there are 10 shames so i i need to know more about what they're hiding yeah we do know some of them yes the wet skin and the hard skin or the the wet skin is definitely one of the shames separate, mm. separate from the first blood spill that mm-hmm. i need more give me Deathbird back and i'll be completely happy i'm excited to read some Darkhawk again I, I don't know if it'll be good but I'm excited to want to read Dark Hawk again. So Jonah, I love talking about Nightcrawler with you. It's so great. You know, you kind of are our real life blue fuzzy elf and getting to see him move to a new title has been so exciting. And I'm just really eager to see where this is going to go. Oh, absolutely. I think this is a very different new era for Kurt that I think will help usher him to the modern era. Not that he already isn't a modern character by in terms of design, in terms of of personality in terms of characterization, in terms of stories that he's given, whether in the past or that he's currently going through. But a lot of what we often talk about throughout this show is bringing these characters to an age where not only are they accessible, but they f- you feel like, I think Marvel is really trying to push forward their characters that no matter who you are, no matter what you look like, you should be able to see yourself in a little bit in every character and to really make them come alive. And so I am extremely excited for a whole new generation of people to really get to enjoy Kurt. Well, we're going to keep bringing you that amazing Kurt coverage three times a week every week with MC2 Mondays, Modern Marvel Wednesdays, and XI4P Premiere Fridays. Don't forget, you guys can always check us out over on Twitter and Instagram at X is for Podcast. So until next time, Jonah, I want to thank you so much for introducing this episode with me. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm just going to bamf out of here. Sorry, it smells like sulfur. Ha ha! Well, till then, enjoy this last segment. Keep those Krakoan gateways open, those mutant lights lit. Remember, 
server. It's not legendary if you don't get to unlock multiple costumes. And we'll see you. Goodbye. Hey everybody, welcome back to Access for Podcast, your premier comics podcast for modern marvels, Chronos Gaming classics, interviews, and penetrating analysis of religious copaganda. I'm TK, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at xnatexgrayx. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me over on Twitter and Instagram thinking, no, this is out of character. No, this is out of- Oh no, it's okay. It's actually okay. There's- that's okay. At Nico Action. that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Hi everybody, this is the lesser known, less popular Omega Sentinel, Jake. You can find me over on Twitter at Omega Sentinel. That's O-H Mega Sentinel. Hey everybody, this is Arturo. Ya tu sabe. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Toybox. And I'm Jonah, and if you want to follow me, I can't say skinjacking without laughing hysterically and thinking somebody somebody let something through that I don't think should have been let through during the editing process. Over on Twitter and Instagram, at Peak Jonah. That's P-E-A-K. And we hope you survive this experience. Just like Banshee did, but Banshee's kind of going through some shit, but we're just going to play it off like he's just going through some rough shit after Moira stole his skin, and that we're just going to pretend that was normal, and nobody needs therapy in this book. That was a whole other skinjack. It's skin jacking all the way down, apparently, <laughs> which means we must be talking about Legion of X number two, written by Cy Spurrier, with art by Jan Bazaldua, colors by Federico Blee, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles, with design by Tom Muller with Jay Bowen, a gorgeous cover by Dee Gruon and Matthew Wilson, and we are picking up right where we left off last issue. Mother Righteous, to me, is one of those characters that, at the introduction, I felt like maybe one thing too many with a whole new book and we knew we were getting a new cast of characters and we've really expanded out into Arako and other books and we're just seeing a lot of stuff so at first I kind of thought to myself I don't know if I'm down for this lady but every panel everything she says the way she's being used in this book more and more I'm getting really interested and feel like she's one of these characters that could be like a Cassandra Nova type could be one we remember for years to come and I love her design I was excited to pick right up with her she's so camp mm. she's over the top cassandra nova is a really good comparison because she's this kind of over the top her power set is a bit obscured but feels very overpowered you're not really clear what it is but it seems like she's pretty much like on a reality warping level i just really cannot get over that every time i see her i just scream out i'm your bitch baby like i can't stand how much i love her she is like for First of all, anybody whose cleavage is going to be the color of clay, I'm here. Like, she is perfect visually. The stark white and black set against the deep of the red creates this context for kind of the the, the polarizing of her aesthetic. And that really translates to the situation going on within Legion, within Nightcrawler. You know, we had so many comments last issue about, in, you know, between the two different rooms about the copaganda and how Nightcrawler keeps being like, yeah, but no, we're not cops. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. And I think in so many ways, Mother Righteous in a very clear visual represents the sort of psychological melee that is the philosophy of Legion of X. Because she has this authority to her aesthetic, but then there's also, like, she's got, like, a Zorro mask on. She's she's coming at you from all angles at the same time. 
It's Eyes Wide Shut Senpai. Exactly. Yeah. There are a couple of visual elements that give me pause and wonder what they're suggesting. She's in chains. Like, both wrists are bound in chains. And in the last panel appearance of her, it looks like there's one leading back somewhere. And then there are these, like, glowy things that are attached to her. And given the way she kind of just appeared out of the astral plane, it kind of reminds me of an anglerfish. You know, she's something to draw people into the deep, like a parasite. I get the sense that there's something behind her that's probably known and powerful. There seems to be some sort of Loki thing happening in the background of this this arc, so I'm curious about whether or not L-O-K-I, not L-O-W-K-E-Y. It's not low-key, you guys. It's low-key. Yeah, and just look at the cover for the next issue in the back if you need a, a little note on that. Well, I mean, in the first page, we've got Loki. What? He's the big green floating <gasps> thing with he the horns. sure mm-hmm. is. I need to go out of my way to give credit to Juancho in last week's room. Unfortunately, there was a little bit of audio static leading the audio to not being usable and I would have loved to be able to capture that moment where Juancho called this out of the gate number one one of the first things he said in last week's coverage uh, a shame it didn't make the final cut but I just got to give credit where credit's due Juancho you called this right away which part Loki I really like what they did in the last issue talking about Iraq and gods and like how they can make them manifest the Iraqi have to challenge them I like that this is leaning towards a conversation about mutant gods gods and godhood. That data page from the desk of Dr. Nemesis on gods reminds me so much of the Hickman data page on dominions through titans talking Mm -hmm. about the phalanx conglomerations. It seems like a biological option of this. And I'm just glad to see more of those seeds that were planted so early in the Hawksbox era being picked up and turned around and replanted. This book is going in some really cool and unexpected directions and the whole like what is a god to godlike creatures already question is really compelling. There is so much going on in this book. Um, Cy Spurrier is such a such a like an ambitious writer. I'm not 100% clear on where everything's going and and what all's going on, but it's just such a blast. Like he's just got such a a talent. I hadn't even caught the Loki thing. You guys are like blowing my mind now. I feel like how did I miss this? So Mother Righteous is my Phantom Thieves outfit for when I go into the metaverse when I'm a Persona user. Yes, she truly does look like she's just designed as a Phantom Thief which I love, which is also just a sexy costume with a mask on, which I'm not knocking any of the designs in Persona 5 because I truly love Persona 5 and I think it's one of the best games ever created. So when it comes to Mother Righteous, I find this as a fascinating temptation that David has to deal with, that the only other person who seems to know about this and the sense of what David is going through is Ruth, which I love. Towards the end, we do see that Banshee is talking to Mother Righteous, but that's very different than him also knowing that she's talking to David. I thought the their entire conversation was so fascinating. And my initial theory while reading this, while reading the second issue was that this was the trickster god that Zenny from the block was looking for. Mm. But I don't think that's going to be the case. I think that Mother Righteous has her own ulterior motives, and I do think it's something very different. You know, seeing Loki appear here, I find fascinating, because I'm not actually too sure Loki slash the Asgardian relationship with the, uh, I almost said the Avengers, with the X-Men slash the Krakoan mutants, I'm not too familiar how a, Loki feels about them. B, what's going on? I feel like there'd be some mutual thing. Like, oh yeah, we're both outcasts. 
just, yeah, we're both hated for no reason. Loki's just, you know, a dick sometimes, and that's fine. It kind of depends on the version of Loki. Sometimes he's like, hey guys, let's get up to hijinks, me and the new mutants having a good time. And other times he's like, I shall ensorce a storm. And so, like, he kind of runs the gamut of entertaining and like, oh. Very Loki. I'm using Loki Loki as an adjective now. So I am very fascinated by this character of Mother Righteous, who's playing this very true, neutral character. And from that data page that we talked about a little bit earlier, it seems like she's just trying to gain followers, and I always called it clout, but she looks like she needs power and the sense of worship, you know? Not to always bring it back to a way to talk about Dazzler, but one of the more fascinating powers that Dazzler has that I don't know if is utilized very often outside of her concerts, is that Dazzler gets a power-up when people are chanting for her. Uh, I also think of The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, how they consider cheerleading, you know, dancing and rhythmic movement and chanting a form of spellcasting. And I'm like, that's very, it's very fascinating when you can twist and use different creative outlets to help broaden your powers in terms of, you know, there's so much power in a name and speaking someone's name. I am, however, slightly concerned with this title, more so in the meta sense of, I want Sai to be able to do everything he wants to do because we're getting a lot of threads in this book. We're getting a lot of different conflicts, whether they're internal, external, we're getting a lot of different things that we get to follow. But I am slightly scared because I know the Marvel office is very quick to not let books continue. And I do hope that regardless of anything that happens, I wish this story is able to at least see the proper ending that Sai wants it to without it having to be cut short or things having to be removed from the story or rushed through because he doesn't have enough issues to get through everything. To that point, we obviously can't know what will happen with the length of the run, what is planned and what will actually be given. But one of the things that has most impressed me about these two issues and gives me a lot of hope going forward is Cy Spurrier might be the best writer for balancing character plots and weaving things together really tightly. The fact that Banshee is so completely divorced from whatever is going on with Legion throughout this issue and yet he ties that really seamlessly very quickly into the Legion plot by having Banshee meet up with Mother Righteous. There is just such a great balance between what seem like three disparate stories but I think will all tie together really well if the book is allowed to go on long enough. That's obviously definitely a concern but with a lot of writers there are times where I'm like you know this is a great story but we've left out like three characters who are just background characters now and I'm really interested in what's going on with them and there's just not enough time in the book to tell their story so they're getting left by the wayside but in this book I think everybody is getting really great spotlight and I feel like each of the plots is being done justice and we're two issues in it could go off but it's great so far too. and I'm, I'm really glad that we're seeing a continuation of the way of x storylines like I'm glad that they're giving Sai some more runway even if I don't expect this to be a hundred issue run I, I feel like at least there's enough confidence in, in in him that even if this title gets sunsetted there might be a third you know for the sake of uh, of a trilogy and I wish some more creators had that opportunity not to get back on the X Factor uh, soapbox but that cancellation would have been a lot more acceptable if if we had gotten some kind of part two book under a different title 
I think we're actually seeing that a little bit more with this attempt to restore legacy numbers. Valkyrie ended at 10 issues, then she got a four issue mini, then a five issue mini. Her new mini series is labeled Valkyrie Legacy issue 20. So it looks like they are trying to find a way to give those writers, and this one, you know, being consistently by the team of Jason Aaron and Torn Grunbuck, they're trying to give them that runway. And I really think it's because of demand from vocal fans over time. Yeah, I mean, I think it's happening somewhat in the X office too, when you see someone like you see teeny howard's trajectory you know going from excalibur to getting a essentially a follow-up book it seems like there there isn't this acknowledgement that like there are some stories that need to carry through and this this way of doing things seems to be well formatted for uh, trade sales down the line and i imagine there's a possibility that it from a marketing and publishing standpoint for individual issues being able to say like excalibur has ended but knights of x is starting gives people a sense of this is a place where I can pick up even more than like Uncanny X-Men has ended and now we'll restart with Uncanny X-Men number one. That might feel a little, still a little bit foreboding, but an entirely new series, even if it's picking up basically everything from the last one, there's both a mentality for the writer and a mentality for the reader who will eventually pick it up that like we're starting fresh and so we have to do some baseline work and you don't necessarily have to have read the other one. It might enhance your journey, but the bigger thing is that you get excited about this new title and then maybe go back and pick up the old stuff well and in this case it might be necessary because again a lot of ideas are being thrown on the board here and if you don't know what the altar is or what the spark is or mm-hmm. what role dust has in playing and in, in getting and gathering the congregation like you're kind of fucked you either just kind of got to roll with it and i think Sai makes it easy enough to just keep bouncing along and you know not not worry about it too much or you got to remember what happened in way of x and isn't that like the nature and hallmark of a great era where you know we started with this fresh clean slate and like shut the fuck up because like one of the highlight moments of my year is you mutants with your polycules that was like the greatest line of dialogue of all fucking time and I felt represented in scene so fucking represented in scene it was it was all over my half of the people in this room so like i am so fucking floored by the idea that we've reached this point where the continuity is so dense. You know, I make this joke about how Grant Morrison had to come in because in 1999 and 2000, you were fucked if you didn't know your sages from your sabras. And I kind of feel like we've reached that point again, but 10 points for Sage being in the boys club of every book she's in these days. Mm. Sage is like, Sage is cool. Everybody loves Sage. She's having such a moment. Sage being in this book is really important. I think right now because so you know I made the joke that we're analyzing religious propaganda and on the one hand the argument could be made but on the other I think Cy Spurrier is doing such an excellent job of pointing it out constantly and making it a question and kind of uh, the idea that they're cops a little bit of a pejorative such that we are not meant to look at these guys and think oh law enforcement officers are great I'm going to carry this into my daily life but rather to think what the hell is going on on this island and how are they establishing order and meaning and understanding and Sage is such an important character for that because she primarily is seen and works with what we all agree are the terrible cops and are just sad about what has happened with Beast but she seems to be of all of them the one who is desperately trying to make something better out of this group and you know maybe acknowledge that there does need to be some form of defense with accountability and yet she 
she's never able to take that control fully and make X-Force into something better than what it is. We see her in this book and compared to what the Legion of X is doing, she's kind of just like a terrible war criminal. (laughs) And it gets pointed out immediately that she has lied about the fact that they don't listen to the denizens of Krakoa. So for me, this was like a really important moment of reckoning with what the Legion of X is, what laws they're enforcing, and what they're doing, which is a question I think we need to be constantly reckoning with so that we don't ever fall into a place where we think Nightcrawler and the cops are enforcing the laws, and that's great. Oh, first off, I would love to say thank you, Marvel, for listening and making Sage much more of an important player. Recently, I've been banging pots and pans for Sage to be playing a much larger role, but more importantly, getting the respect she deserves, because we can talk about how we wouldn't have Krakoa if Doug couldn't talk to Krakoa, and that's very true. But we literally wouldn't have anything else if it wasn't for Sage. Sage's specific power set of her control of technology, basically being a living computer, is kind of the only reason anything can get done on Krakoa. And without it, they really wouldn't have anything. They, they would basically be defenseless. And I really appreciate that Sage is getting her recognition for the major role she plays behind the scenes because she kind of doesn't get enough credit because she's, you know, in her chair. I think the closest we have to somebody who can potentially do what she does is trinary. Don't fully quote me on that. But nobody can do what Sage does. That part I'm really appreciative of. And uh, like you just said, TK, I really love the dichotomy of seeing the not quite cops versus the special ops group who's doing a lot more shady, won't say illegal, but questionable things that a couple of their members are doing for self-gain as opposed to the gain and protection of Krakoa. Whereas we see Nightcrawler and his legionnaires are Nightcrawler and his emo cops as B says (laughs) (laughs) I do appreciate that dichotomy of what Nightcrawler is trying to specifically accomplish versus what X-Force is trying to accomplish and granted they are doing two different things but they're both two sides of the same coin and Nightcrawler doesn't want and labels on things Nightcrawler doesn't want to call the spark of religion he doesn't want to be called a cop because I think Nightcrawler understands the stigma of and the ideas that people get when they hear those certain tags versus what he actually is trying to accomplish. And I think that's what this book is trying to tell us, that we can have that distinction and we can be critical about things and also understand there is nuance and difference. I would love to see a conversation between Nightcrawler and Banshee when Banshee's not going through it quite so much as he is right now. And just like, kind of to your point, I I would love to hear the contrast between what's going on here with, with her versus what Banshee did with X Corp, which, you know, maybe better left forgotten. Although we do have to make the distinction between X Corp and X Corp. And uh, X Corporation. Well, that's, that's, I always shorten X Corporation to X Corp in my head. So that's why I'm always like, wait, which X Corp are we talking about? Well, and there's two X Corporations. There are two X Corporations? The one from the Morrison era and there's the modern one. I thought the one from the Morrison era was, was Banshee's. No, that's. No, that's X Corp. That's X Corp. Which is spelled like Corp. And at the same. Same like time, there was also an X corporation that yeah. wasn't like. Oh, yeah, it was Charles right. Xavier doing business throughout oh, the world. Boy, edit. It was such kind a of, I mean, there was kind of connected. Like, it was kind of the whole thing. It was like, you know, the X Men have now gone global. So, very hard to tell the difference. I agree. Banshees, he wasn't inhabiting the, I think they were in Paris, the Paris branch of X Corp. Yeah. He was doing entirely his own thing, but it was all under sort of this idea that the mutants had gone global. Well, to kind of get back to it, I like what was said about Banshee
Banshee, not just because of the X-Corp of it all, but because Banshee was also an Interpol. He was also at one point somehow an NYPD cop. Banshee's idea of policing is different from Nightcrawler's idea of public safety, to say the least, just given where he's coming from. And if he's joining the Legion, I think it does, it really does offer the potential for some powerful discussions around, you know, what are the, what are, what necessary forms of oversight do we have? What necessary forms of accountability do we have for people who are espousing themselves to be public safety? You know, and will Banshee agree with those things? Because he's someone who not only worked as a cop, but he's also been a victim of severe violence and trauma. And, you know, how does that come into the way he thinks about uh, protection and the way he thinks about keeping a community safe? It could be a really nuanced conversation talking about trauma survivors, protection, enforcement, accountability. This book has a, has the opportunity to go very deep. Now, if it doesn't, that's okay, because there are all sorts of stories to tell here. But I would really love to see that story happen on the page, to see the, that conversation happen on the page. Can I just do the thing that I have to do? It's it's scientifically required. Um, Juggernaut's so hot. He's Juggernaut's just so, so hot. hot. Yay. So now I think is a really good time just to talk about the art overall, because Juggernaut is not the only one that is so hot. No, Everyone is, is so hot. Forget Everyone's Me so Not hot. is so hot. He's not even in this issue, and I can't stop thinking <laughs> about how hot he is. <laughs> no, TK, he actually was. He was. I know. I just forgot. No, I never forget him. He's my one love. One of the big things is I have been kind of almost disappointed seeing Banshee throughout this era because they have really gone back to not like the hideous gremlin that he was in the 70s, but like the chops really age him up and he's just been very aged up. My Sean is Generation X. Sean, who is like, I think at most a 45 year old daddy. The abs of a 25 year old. Exactly. Yeah, it's super daddy Zac Efron shit. (laughs) But the Banshee that we've seen throughout this era has just been a little bit not exciting to me. And that Jan Basildua has managed to take every element that has been a part of the Banshee that we've known since Krakoa started and to make him handsome and sexy and adorable is a godlike feat of artistry that I am so impressed by. And I mean, Liege, every single person in this book is just absolutely gorgeous. Including Beast. I was about to say including Beast. Holy shit. Yeah, he has got such human features through some of the, you know, fucking hamburger face. But it is stupid hot. How do we feel about Pixie's newest costume? Um, You know, I keep being distracted by Juggernaut literally now having the power of smush on everything. (laughs) So when Pixie's costume appeared, I was like, okay, you know, it complements Nightcrawlers mm-hmm. and Lost. Yeah. yeah. But I feel like outside of the uniformity, it is a little underwhelming and derivative. It's something I feel looks perhaps a little bit simpler than a lot of the robust design elements. Now, don't get me wrong. They're not cops, but it does read very uniform. But Pixie's one of those characters that has never broken out of that, Her like the uniform is her costume kind mm-hmm. of mold. There's a few characters like that, um, where like they're new mutants, <laughs> leotard, you know what I mean? Like just like they're Xavier Rain. kind of- X-Men training uniform. Yeah. 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 Kate pride for the longest I, time. Forge. Well, well <laughs> Kate, Kate wasn't allowed to make her own costumes. We saw how that went. I think it's a fine outfit. I do think this design bleeds a little too much into looking like Betsy Braddock. It's mm. the purple hair 
hair with the red and black, and she looks like she's trying to cosplay as Captain Britain. Yeah, I, there was that knife too, like the the psychic knife. I didn't think of it as soul dagger. I kept seeing psychic knife when she had Kane stabbed in the head. That's a really good point. Not that she doesn't look great. I think I personally would prefer maybe giving her something still in the vein of the outfit that they can use of the legion the legionnaire outfit, but something either a a little more unique or change the color palette in a way where she feels like you're looking at Pixie and you're not looking at a young mutant trying to cosplay as their favorite hero who's Betsy Braddock as Captain Britain. Mm-hmm. Is it orange or is it red? Because it looks orange in a few panels and that just, it clashes a little bit with the color of her hair too. I think it's red, just based on what Kurt and Lost are wearing. I think the thing that might be missing from making all of these looks a thing is a solid team tableau shot where we see the cohesive look of the team together in their outfits just to kind of remind us that there is a reason why they're all dressed like this because we just kind of get thrown into this book and we get very little of everybody together in kind of like a classic superhero shot you want the sears portrait studio shot i need Correct. it too i yeah. need it i need I, it i love them i don't care I how handy it. it is you it's know so stupid but i need it half of it is i need to see jan basil do interpretation of it the way like the the one I, that always springs to my mind when I say that I want this is the Cassidy astonishing one where they kept having to have Emma jump over and over again to get the shot because she doesn't fly. So there's no other reason. She's two feet off the ground. So they kept being like, Emma, can you jump again? And she kept being like, the one fucking bloody time I wish Jean Grey was here. Fine. Like, yeah, it's my favorite shot. Yeah, I love a team shot. One of the things that it can really do is visually set the standard of this is how everybody looks right now. This is their thing while they're in this gig. And it makes you appreciate it a little more than if we just kind of cut in and suddenly Lost and Pixie are in totally different clothings and designs that might, you know, there's nothing wrong with them, but we're we're kind of left with some questions. What about an emblem? Something. Oh yeah, I love an no, emblem. No, I love an emblem, but that makes it a badge and that makes them yeah. cops. Yeah, and right. also true. So I'm well, does automatically that make, Does that make the regular X-Men cops too? Because they have emblems on. I mean, there was that point in the 90s when groups like the MLF would call them the X-Cops. They absolutely were, when they were doing the whole assimilation you know, fight to protect a world that fears and hates them from other mutants. I mean, they were absolutely accused of being law enforcement, and rightly so. I have this weird mental image, though, now of all the portraits, like where, like, can you imagine that it's X Men Baseball Day and everybody's like, "All right, guys, let's do another portrait," and Magneto's like, "Let's do one like the '91 shot." You know, I'll put on the crazy helmet, and they're all like, <laughs> "Are we laughing about that now, Eric?" And Charles just daughters in, and he's like, "Whoa, he's laughing." <laughs> about it I, I have this mental image of drunk eric being like i'll put on the crazy cape and it's everything to me. <laughs> i'll put on the crazy cape no one's asking you to do this eric no no, no i'll do it I, I hear everybody saying i have to do it no nobody's saying you have to do it. i'm gonna do it i told everyone i wouldn't sing <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't make me sing thanks to steve orlando i have the term aggressively hatted in my head <laughs> This book could use an aggressively hatted mutant. Mm-hmm. Or two. A say something hat, you know, some, a, like a think piece. A skin jacker hat, as it were, which I did not think you could skin jack without a six, seven, or eight skin. So I'm very impressed. Five, six, seven, eight skin, and then they break out into jazz hands. <laughs> <laughs>
Usually Juggernaut is wearing a say something hat. I, th- I think you could, we would call that. You That's could true. call he, that a hat. He is an aggressively hatted individual who has been sans hat. Oh, I suspect that that's part of the terms of his ability. To oh, so that Charles away. can fuck up his head whenever he wants. So anyone I, can feel like wait, he can did, But didn't he have it in the last issue? When he yeah, made he did. He, did yeah. he gets special dispensation for work. Yeah, I kind of sure. love now that his costume is, you know, kind of like part of him and it can kind of appear it's an easier fix than, oh, let me go put on my aggressive hat. Yeah, I just love that he went to his designer and he was like, think Raiden, but make it metal. And like, Literally. it just went horribly wrong. He was like, what says traps? Yeah, he's like, it's a who, head needs a, who needs a neck? Right. And he looks so good. And I know that it's me projecting, but like this show has a very specific that if you don't see Kane and Tom together, you might be reading it wrong. And it's so, I don't know, there's a moment to me that with the really special unlimited story, it really kind of felt like Tom was like, would you please give my boyfriend a chance, please? Yeah, and yeah. like, it really hit me because like I wound up pouring my heart out to my husband the other night about how like the slow development of Kane and Tom to a place where maybe someday if they are out of the closet and gay, it's not, you know, coded gay crime shit. They can like literally make this a positive gay couple who even when they're bad people, they're always good to each other. And it really would mean a lot to the, you know, weird little gay dude who grew up to be like, there's never big enough, who idolizes the, you know, physicality of Juggernaut, certainly not the behaviors. It's just nice to have the visual iconography of that kind of happiness. And I don't know, it's just felt like Cy Spurrier was finding a subtle way to not have to not say something. And it meant a lot. And I think one of the other really, along with just the physical sexiness of all of these characters, the romance and sexuality that is written into this book and the relationships between the characters is such an important part of the whole thing. And I think partially it's speaking to the make more mutants law. Like I think this book is constantly going to be speaking to the three laws and the ways that they are interpreted by Krakoans and experienced by them. But you know, right off the bat, the relationship between Ruth and David and the way that she says, I will love you no matter what decision you make. And no, I'm not going to make it for you. I got to go. It's just, it's a beautiful romantic moment. And then also it's a very real relationship moment as is the one between Juggernaut and Black Tom just sitting there having a drink together. And then you've got Nightcrawler massaging everybody and flirting with everyone. It's a really sexy romantic book. And we have gotten sexy elements throughout this era, but it feels like it's almost part of a mission statement of this book to have that be a part of what we're experiencing at the core of the book and not just like a moment like Cyclops naked leaning against Emma Frost. And like sexiness is like part of kind of classic X-Men, like the Claremont X-Men, like there was just so much sexiness kind of laid into the soapy drama of it all that it it feels like it feels true. It feels like an X-Men book because of that. Like Nightcrawler's sexiness cannot be understated. Uh, Weaponless Zen is like ready to get down with him. (laughs) So is Sage. Nightcrawler's got his hands full. It's very clear that Sizeburger wants Krakow to be a sex positive culture. You know, the way Stacey X appeared in Way of X and was very much lecturing Nightcrawler and leaving his Catholic sentiments about sex and sexuality behind. Even though he himself is pretty, pretty sexually liberal when it comes down to it, it speaks to this idea that like this is a culture that puts a lot of emphasis on connection and community and communion of the mind and body. And it's pretty interesting how that comes into the way Kurt conceives of restorative justice as well, because that's the other half of the Legion is 
is, you know, if they pick someone up who is out of control, they go to the altar and they talk it out and they say, will you share this pain with us? And it's, it's a really, there's something really beautiful, but also still kind of questionable about asking someone to share something so personal and private. The scene with, is it Paul? DeCosta. Is that his name? It's my Polly, right? Is <laughs> my Polly? Yeah. Paulie. Yeah, it's my Polly. Little Polly. It's interesting that their strategy is, you know, tell us your pain, share your pain with the communion, and he's he's resistant to it on the grounds that if he shares it, he loses that pain for himself. You know, it brings me back to like Oathkeeper, Dalinar not sharing his pain with Odium. I see both why the compulsion to get people who are troubled to share what's going on with the community in this like fully penetrative kind of way, this fully like you are part, you are dissolved into the greater oneness kind of way is tempting, but I can also see why people would be afraid of that. And I'm wondering what options the Legion leaves for people who don't want that. You know, what's going to happen to Lil Paul? He wants to remember. So it's a really interesting question because David does say, I I mean, I can just take away your pain, which seems like not an option that should be on the table. And one of those places where if these guys are cops, but not cops, and this is one of the methods they employ, I have some questions. But it also raises a point of like, they're, they're winging this. They are, there is no no tried and true method for dealing with these things. And right off the bat, they have a method that they think works, which is bringing people into the congregation and letting them process their pain that way. But here immediately, as the book starts, we have a person get taken in who does not want that option. And the book doesn't leave us with a solid answer. And I think that's probably going to be something that they're working through throughout the series, which is we have no established protocols. We have no we don't know what works. We don't have any research. We are entirely winging this. And when we come up against something that says the method that you've tried for two weeks or two months, however long it's been, that's been working now does not anymore, which is obviously you're going to, your sample size is going to start to break down. What do you do with that? I think that's a really important question that these characters have to answer. And it's why I think in the first, you know, the first real application of last issue setup, because, you know, no offense to any pilot, but the whole idea of a pilot is it gives you an idea of the series. It doesn't really so often play out the natural course of, you know, an issue. So here we're seeing the first real application of the ideas presented in the first issue. And Nightcrawler already says the idea of doing this that way tries his patience. Like, okay, we had had a lot of concerns that perhaps this book did not have the self-awareness it needed, but already seeing Nightcrawler be like, I want to do this this way, but you're making it difficult. Mm -hmm. Really? Okay, good. He sees that he has trouble with even this moderately intermediate version of still kind of copishness. So like it is becoming an exploration of these ideas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What happens when you have someone who has more traditional quote, quote, traditional ideas of what law enforcement looks like come into the group and weigh that conversation. I think all the pieces are in place for this to be a really fascinating look at creating, I don't know, I guess like a, like public safety from the ground up, but you know, we don't even really know what that looks like in the real world. So, you know, kind of trying to envision it for this like you slash dystopian mutant society is really an effort and I'm here for the ride because I think all the right pieces are on the board except one I and and I'm not sure who brought her up earlier but Stacy X I would love to mm. see a little bit of Stacy X back in the mix maybe after this arc I would kind of like to go back to what was that place called where the that she created the adoption agency no. <laughs> Bone Town <laughs> the Lotus Farm no. 
the orchard. No, the orchard is. Uh, it's was it? The it's one? always the the something. No, the orchard is um, like, what Wanda made the Eldritch Orchard. To see like the the girls from the X Ranch back in the mix, maybe mm-hmm. working with her over there. Like just Stacy X would be great. Stacy X forever. It's it's called the Bower. The the Bower. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Thank you, Jonah. But I am happy to see Lost back in the shuffle. I think it would have been really easy to just kind of forget about her and leave her at the Bower, and mm-hmm. that would have been our loss, honestly. So I'm happy to see her, you know, getting some screen time and making a difference with this team. Lost story in Way of X was one of the, from what I was able to pick up from online, was a little bit divisive in mm-hmm. how people thought she was treated, and I really hope this title she gets a chance to shine as well as have a lot more agency it did kind of feel like her story was a little more of a catalyst for fabian cortez as opposed to her own being dealing with the trauma but i think that this is a great opportunity for her to get the recognition and the characterization that she deserves uh, over in this title i know that it takes a lot of convincing on marvel's ends to be able to introduce a new mutant i feel like a lot of times when we are introduced to somebody new and we have to meet some one of these millions of mutants that are finally able to be on this island and not be afraid of wherever they are. They get maybe like one story and then we never see them again. Whether I want them there or not, I think back to Maxon and Manon, who mm-hmm. we haven't seen in a while. And that's fine. They, I don't think there's too many fans of them who are like trying to scream, bring them in comics, put them on the X-Men. But still, it's whether you see them in one issue or not, I think I would really appreciate a lot more of just seeing a lot more mutants. It kind of... I have noticed in a lot more bigger panels, like when we're at the Green Lagoon or something, it does feel like we are getting the same faces there. Not that a bar wouldn't have regulars, but it would be nice to have a little bit of a variety. And I love you guys are pointing out what's seen and unseen because I feel like, and you know, in reference to bringing up Teeny Howard's book earlier, there's a sense of whatever Teeny's doing is like the magic side of Krakoa. It's, you know, the magic of Krakoa. But when I think about the stories that have been done in this book and the sort of legacy of Cy Spurrier's Krakoa, When you kick things off, it's Nightcrawler investigating this invisible force that comes to be Legion. Then they're investigating this force that's pervasive secretly through the minds of Krakoa and it's Onslaught. Then we come to this new book and they're dealing with Forget-Me-Not, a mutant who's never really there. Then they're dealing with a mutant who's not physically there because he possesses people because he's sort of an energy creature in the Skinjacker. So one of the things that this book is so focused focused on is talking about all of the unseens of Krakoa. And in that regard, this book is going through so many characters so quickly in order to showcase this almost anthology-esque approach to the multitude of unseen in Krakoa. Well, and having X-Force basically guest star in this issue speaks to that as well, right? Just kind of building on this whole universe, this shared universe and era. There's something really convenient, though, about making like cultural problems personified like onslaught was essentially like the bodied manifestation of a philosophical problem which was like the immortal society with no inhibitions just starts to eat itself and onslaught was was like the thing that they could take out of that society and capture and put down so that that wasn't going to be an issue anymore and the altar kind of was the the antidote the poison it's something you can do in comics is like make all of your invisible evils personified and extract them from you know from a society i'm curious about what then 
then the comment is on on a character like Mother Righteous. You know, clearly she's she seems to be in the daisy chain of these kinds of characters of a type. What is the problem that she's going to bring to Krakoa? We're seeing this effect in reverse now. Instead of them, you know, just finding that this is a already established like problem or miasma or feeling that they need to work on, here she is coming in offering solutions to problems they didn't know they had. That's a dangerous way to start. I mean, I think we have seen the application of practical mutant magic and that's getting dealt with in a lot of other stories and it's sort of the idea of mutant technology and mutant magic kind of blurring together and how that ties into what we know about the greater universe and what the potentials are for the future here. With this book, it's starting to show us mutant mysticism and questions about things like what is unseen and what has been not yet asked and how these characters are going to make meaning in their personal, like, internal lives, but also what big ramifications that has externally and what they need to be asking themselves as a society about the big questions that we all ask because they have such a very different experience of life right now. I definitely think Mother Righteous is angling to become a goddess of Krakoa. The way she's talking about what David has to pay, which is just like, you have to thank me. You have to know that your victories go to me and be thankful for the fact that I exist. That seems like basic level worship to me. And if it's just a matter of accruing a certain number of followers to attain a certain kind of self-sustaining divinity, I think that's what she's angling towards. And especially if you get someone like David and he's like already enough of a, a gestalt of personalities that probably automatically levels you up. Does anybody think that this is the trickster god slash goddess slash deity that they're looking for? Or do you think that's going to be somebody else? I think it's going to be somebody else. Hmm, I think it is her. Oof, I think it's possible, but at the same time, it could be someone who's trying to fill take that gig. One of the possible futures, this is like on the second page of this issue, uh, when where you see David in the center of the Quiet Council. We don't see much of the Quiet Council, but we see Destiny 2.0, and it looks like Ruth has taken up her place there, mm-hmm. and we see Kurt with two Bamfs, an older Kurt with an iPad. There's three. Oh, yes, there is a third. You also see Krakoa split with an organic and techno-organic side. Yes. I like all of these face splits. David also has the, uh, are those Zorns? They look like like half Zorn, like half dark, half light Zorn face. It did look like he made Zorn. Mm -hmm. Crazy futures possible on the horizon. Mm -hmm. 